Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. And uh, just letting everyone know that you can now watch our show on YouTube at youtube.com slash other people's lives, um, as well as it being available on iTunes and Spotify and everything else. Um, but yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. Yeah, and really excited for today's episode. We are speaking to a woman named Sarah Turney. Uh, she has a podcast called Voices for Justice, uh, where she's basically diving in and kind of doing her own investigation into the unsolved disappearance of her older sister. Um, it's a story that, you know, has definitely made the news. I think it was featured on 2020. So some of you, you know, may have heard uh, this story as well. But, you know, she's basically dedicated, you know, her life or a big chunk of her life um, to trying to, I guess, help solve this disappearance. Um, in her case, she believes that her father is responsible for it. Um, so really interesting conversation. Uh, I think we're excited to kind of learn the details here and, and talk to Sarah. So Sarah, we've got you on the line. Uh, thanks. Thanks for being on today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so really to jump right into it, uh, when did your sister first go missing and what made you suspect that your father was responsible? Yeah, so she went missing, I mean, almost uh, 19 years now. It was um, May 17th, 2001. She was 17 and I was 12. Um, so I didn't believe that my father did it for a very, very long time, not until really just a few years ago. Um, and that kind of all came into play when the, the police finally began to investigate. They didn't really do anything um, until 2008. And then they looked into it very, very heavily and sat me down and basically told me that it was my father and that they were going to prosecute. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. So that's really where most of that change of heart came from is really just getting that um, eye opening experience with the police telling me to my face that they basically believed it was him. Wow. So, I mean, can you kind of just walk us through that process? Like uh, your sister goes missing. So what happens? Like she just doesn't she goes out and she doesn't come home. Um, like when did it raise an alarm with your parents? Yeah, so um, she actually was taken out of school early by our father, which I didn't know about that either. He didn't tell anyone. Um, so we didn't find out until that 2020 episode that you had mentioned. But essentially, she gets picked up from school early. Um, supposedly, her and my father go to lunch. They have an argument about her wanting more freedom over the summer. It was her last day of her junior year in high school. So she apparently wanted more freedom. He said no. They got into a fight. And then he, um, at one point, left her alone at our home. And she was supposedly, you know, or she was never seen again um, from there. And one week later, um, she supposedly called from a payphone in California that also can't be tracked to her. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say that my father actually seemed quite alarmed that night. I believe that he reported her missing at about um, 11 p.m. So goodness, what, nine hours after um, he'd last seen her. So you, you believe that your sister's still alive and out there? No, no, I'm sorry. And um, when I said supposedly, I just meant supposedly with my father's story. Um, at this point, for a long time, I really did hold out hope that she was alive. But now that I know so many details about what happened and what transpired between her and my father, and it's been so long, like I said, almost 19 years. Um, no, I do not believe that she's alive anymore. Is there any? So, okay. So you said they, the police didn't start, you know, investigating until 2008. That is seven years after the fact uh during that time you know what was that like was your whole family kind of going out were you guys doing like 
you know, driving through your neighborhood or were you, you know, what, what kind of things were you doing to try and find out what was happening to your sister? Sure. To be honest, not much. I was 12 when she went missing. Um, so for that first year or so, I just thought she ran away. She would be back. Um, and that didn't happen. But for a long time, my father actually kept flyers on like the dashboard of his truck and he appeared to be looking for her. Um, but once I got the case file, that just certainly wasn't the case. Um, there was never a search for her. He never um, he actually refused efforts from neighbors to put together search parties for her. I found out later on. Um, so, no, unfortunately, the, the family didn't do anything. And I feel just as guilty about that as anybody else. Um, but it wasn't until 2006 when a gentleman um, confessed to Alyssa's murder. He also confessed to 21 other murders, including J.C. Lee Dugard, who was a girl that went missing but was later found alive. Um, so the police did ultimately deem his confession false. And then um, they really focused on my father. They came and raided our home, um, which, you know, that's a big part of the story. When they raided me and my father's home, they found that my father had written a 96 page manifesto outlining how he was going to attack um, a former employer of his because he knew you know according to this manifesto that they killed my sister and along with this manifesto they find 26 pipe bombs whoa what wait so wait what the fuck wait sorry uh <laughs> so your father so you believe that your father murdered your sister, but to cover his tracks, wrote this whole manifesto about how he knew it was his employer. Correct, yes. And, to this and he day, had, he blames it on the union, he calls it, yeah. And he had 21 pipe bombs in his possession. Uh, 26, along with, I want to say, like 19 high-caliber um, assault rifles. He was also found, I, I think it was seven magazines when he was arrested. He had, I think, two guns, seven magazines, and a few knives on him. Jesus. So, I mean, wow. So you're you're 12 years old when this happens, um, which I think before even move, moving forward, you know, sorry that this is something that you've gone through that you're still going through. Um, truly can't imagine. I think I can speak for Joe when I say we both have siblings uh, that we have like probably unhealthy obsessions with our brothers um, and Joe, your sister, like love our family. Truly can't imagine something like that, you know, happening. Um, but as a 12 year old, you know, obviously you don't really have a grasp on the situation and, you know, no reason to suspect your father. Um, I kind of want to talk about the, this man, the, a false confession. So when it was, I guess, deemed false that this guy was just out there confessing to a bunch of murders that either weren't even murders or that he had no part in, um, then they turn it back onto your dad, um, you said that was in 2008, but they still haven't prosecuted him or anything. So what happened there? It, it, like from raiding the house to your father still not being responsible for the disappearance of your sister. How does that happen? Exactly. I mean, I still ask myself that question all the time. Um, but essentially, they my father was sentenced to 10 years in prison for these bombs. Oh, wow. Yeah, he served, you know, quite a long time in there. He's he's actually out now. But um, what happened was they they came to me. Um, you know, we, we continued these discussions. I was the only point person on my sister's case since I was like 17 years old. So I was the only one in regular contact with the police. 
And eventually I do have this realization that it was, you know, most likely my father that had murdered my sister. And I went to them and I said that I said, I see what you see. I know you guys have been trying to tell me this for years. Like, how can I help you? And then they start, you know, emailing me information. They, they tell me that um, they don't believe that um, the runaway note that my sister left behind was written by her on that day. They, they tell me outright that they believe that my father made her write that. They tell me outright that they don't think that that phone call a week later came from my sister. You know, that my father had been sexually abusing my sister. They tell me I have a sister I don't know about. They, they tell me all these crazy things. Um, and again, we're going back and forth and I'm asking my father questions while he's in prison and kind of trying to relay that information. And, you know, eventually they say to me, okay, this is what we're going to do when he's released from his 10 years in prison. We're, we're going to go arrest him for the murder of your sister, because if we do it while he's in prison, he'll be able to combine sentences and he'll serve less time. And, you know, we want Alyssa to get her justice. So I sit there and I wait. And in March of 2017, he's released and absolutely nothing happens. Um, and, you know, at that point, I'm still like, okay, well, like, maybe the justice system is just, like, taking its time. Maybe they're not going to arrest him that that day. But then, like, um, shortly before my father's release, the detectives that were on Alyssa's case for, like, 10 years were reassigned. And I'm still thinking, like, okay, well, the case is closed. They're already going to prosecute. No big deal. But then, again, nothing happens. So, eventually, you know, I request a meeting, and they sit me down, and they say, listen, Sarah, um, we're not going to prosecute without a body. And I say, okay, can we look for that body? And they say, no, we don't have the resources. And I say, can I raise money for that? And they say, no. Um, and then they tell me that there's going to be a silent witness campaign and I'll have a billboard on every freeway in Phoenix for my sister. Um, but my best chance is to get media exposure if I ever want this thing to go to court. This is what the police told you? Correct. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm so, like... Yeah. So I'm I actually sorry. go and interview my father myself because they, they've never obtained an interview with him. So I went and did it myself. So how did wait, that go? Yeah. I, bef I mean, before we even get into that, I just want to know like what led you to believe like, okay, this is definitely my father. I mean, we, we kind of, I feel like we're just like, you know, we kind of skipped over some sort of some details there. Right. What type like of a, evidence, right? Yeah. What type of ev evidence led you to believe? I mean, besides, I mean, finding pipe bombs and this manifesto and all this stuff, that's kind of like alarming. What was, you know, so to me, I mean, to, to, I mean, hearing that you think we found a manifesto who would write, you know, a 90 page thing if they did it themselves. So like that was clearly to throw you guys off the track, like which evidence like was mounted against him that made you believe like, okay, it was definitely him. Yeah, but I mean, before I spoke to him myself, there were a lot of different things. Um, you know, like I said, they uncovered that she was being sexually abused by our father from like age nine until she disappeared. Um, in addition to that, um, about a week before Alyssa disappeared, my father made two phone calls to CPS stating that she was going to call them and say that she was being abused because she wanted a vehicle. Um, he also called the police and said, what can I do about my daughter? She's going around um, saying false accusations about me and how do I protect myself? He called the police multiple times asking that. Um, he also, we uncovered that there were behavioral contracts between my father and my sister 
that said things like I've never, you know, he made her sign and attest saying um, I'd never been physically abused by my father. I'd never been sexually abused by my father. I won't walk alone at night. Um, there were hidden cameras inside of our home that were spying on my sister that we discovered. Um, I was aware of one in our living room vent that he did tell me about, but then other people came forward and said that there were cameras in her bedroom um, and, and all sorts of insane stuff like that. I mean, a lot of it does go back to that, that sexual abuse and the fact that it really seemed that it was coming to a head, that she was ready to tell the world. Um, there was also an incident about a year before she left where um, she she threatened. She threatened to go and tell everybody about this. And my father went to the police and said that like she was on LSD and like just, I mean, this insane back and forth that really culminated at the end of this year, um, the, the year that she went missing, I should say. So yeah, I, I would say the history of abuse um, was huge. And then the, the fact that when I realized this, I went, we have, my sister and I have four older brothers and I went to them and I was like, oh my gosh, can you guys believe that like dad could have done this? And they all looked at me and were kind of like, yeah, like we all kind of knew that. Um, I was literally the last one to believe it. And when I did, it was no surprise to anyone. Wait, they were aware that this was happening, like the sexual abuse with your sister, or they just knew that your dad was capable of such things when all this came out? No, it's my understanding that they were aware of the sexual abuse. And why did they not ever say anything or kind of bring that up i think it's definitely one of their largest regrets i mean i wish i could be in their minds and know um it's so hard to say i am sure that they wish that they did i hope they wish they did um but yeah it's definitely one of the saddest parts about this case you know Alyssa even reported it to a teacher who didn't report it it's absolutely insane were you close with your father when you were 12 like was there any signs that you saw you know even though you were young that he was capable of this or did any of that behavior um kind of spill over into your relationship with him no so another large factor in this is that Alyssa and i were complete were treated completely separately like differently i should say and um a large factor in that is probably the fact that and i should have mentioned this in the beginning i apologize i just don't see it this way um Alyssa was not his biological daughter she was adopted. We, you know, Alyssa and I shared the same mother and I am his biological daughter. And I didn't realize it until we were older, but we were, comp we were treated completely differently and that Alyssa was watched every second of every day. And he said that this was due to her having a severe learning disability that nobody can prove. I don't believe she had one. None of her friends would say that she had one. Her teachers won't even say that she had one. But he used this as an excuse to watch every single thing she did. Um, there's a video out there on YouTube where he's literally watching her at her job at Jack in the Box. You know, there's videos of um, him sur just surveilling on her. It was it was super obsessive. And then me, you know, for example, when Alyssa was 17 years old, she wasn't allowed to walk alone at, at night. She wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend. She wasn't allowed to do basically anything. When I was 17 years old, my boyfriend moved into the house with me and my father and he bought me a mini fridge, filled it with beer and I dropped out of high school. Like we were treated, it was night and day. Um, and my father was like my best friend um, because I, I never went to school. I stayed at home with him all day and I thought that he was the coolest because we would eat ice cream and go get scratcher tickets and go see movies at midnight. Um, so I didn't see any of that abuse and Alyssa never shared that with me. Wow. So, I mean, it must have been hard when you first hear about something like this, like, oh, we think it's your father and this guy is kind of like, you know, your your buddy, your pal, you know, and it's it's kind of difficult there to, to 
you know, sort of deal with. Um, wow. Okay. So now, you know, it, when you went to go interview him, uh, in jail, what, what were you planning on asking him about and how did that conversation go? Sure. So this was actually a few months after he was released. So I went and met with him in person and I did that on purpose because when you're in jail, you know, all your phone calls are monitored. When you go visit somebody, there's a guard standing right there. So I figured I would never get the real story from him given those conditions. So I went and met with him like at a Starbucks in downtown Phoenix um, and I was ready to ask him everything. And it was awful and terrible. And, you know, some of the worst things he said to me was um, he looked me in the eye and said, you know, Sarah, come to the deathbed and all the honest answers you want to hear. And he also told me that he would confess to everything if the state agreed to give him lethal injection within 10 days. And then there was no doubt in my mind that he did it. Wow. What? I mean, that is a as clear as a confession as you can get but, there. But, but that's not something he would ever say in public, I guess, or to the police i mean i recorded it and shared that with the police um to which i the the commander of the unit said i i understand you went on a some type of covert mission to interview your father and i said yeah and this is what he said and they she looked me in the eyes and said sarah he didn't confess to us what the f this is like one of those sick netflix documentaries where you're like how did this happen it really like is. how does it continue to go on so you literally have a recording of your father saying, like, I'll confess to it. Just make sure they kill me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's actually going to be like the next episode of Voices for Justice. I'm finally at that point in the story where I'm telling that. But the deathbed comment I've had on YouTube for goodness a year or two now because I, I, it's so shocking. How could I not release it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable that you can say that. And I compare it to like, think about if Casey Anthony came out and said, I'll tell you on my deathbed what happened to Kaylee Anthony. Right. The world would go insane. Absolutely. And wow. and you would think the authorities would pursue that with a little more persistence. I mean, yeah, I mean, like they're like, oh, he didn't confess to us. Like, yeah, well, then walk over there to Starbucks <laughs> and listen. Like, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing and they did make attempts to interview him but he enacted his right to remain silent which is apparently all it takes to get away with murder which i was quite astonished by because i asked them i was like wire me up can i go in there and ask questions for you and they were like no and then i was like fuck it i'll do it myself don't in don't like informants do that all the time that's my understanding yeah so that was when you had that conversation with your father that was 2017 you said so your father is out of prison right now. Yeah, he's a free man. He just got off probation earlier earlier this year, so he's literally not being monitored at all. And there's no one basically pursuing this case on the police side. Um it's it's pretty much just you it seems like. <laughs> So the police are, it's still an active investigation. I believe that the police at this point are trying to make something happen. But until my father's in cuffs, like I will forever take that last statement of, you know, from them saying, get media attention, good luck. Um, so I won't stop until he's in cuffs because I've been through so many ups and downs with them of them saying, we're going to prosecute. We would never prosecute. Maybe we'll prosecute that. I just don't believe it again until he's arrested. So that's when I'll stop. Also, I just, I mean, I don't know too much about that whole thing. It just seems like a ridiculous statement, though, to say, get some media attention. Like, what? 
what's like, crazy about you... that is I'm not the only one they told that. Um, I actually met up with another girl who has a missing sister that she fights for also from the same city. And they told her the same thing. We, they said we her um, her suspected sister's killers. He's a gentleman, Brian, something or another. And he's the canal killer, essentially. And they said, we believe that this man did it. Um, but, you know, he even said what color trash bags the girl's body was in. And they said, but sorry, we can't do anything about it because we don't have that body. So your best chance is getting media exposure. So it appears to be something that they tell victims' families often. Wow. That yeah. Is, you really hate, you know, you hate to hear this. And it's, you know, obviously not, you know, a, a, a total knock against, you know, the, the police force as a whole in the country. But like when you hear about these sort of injustices within the justice system and what kind of present themselves as loopholes. It's, you know, it's just so hard to hear. I mean, it's the reason why true crime is so popular, right? Because it, what seems so obvious is not being pursued or, or, or nothing has been done about it. Um, and it's, it's just insane that you're living through this. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is not my choice. I did not wake up one day and say, oh, I can't wait to go on a bunch of podcasts and talk to a bunch of people about my missing sister. It's, it's not fun. And I don't particularly enjoy it. But yeah, it's something that I feel like I was assigned to do. And I'm one that she has, that will do it. You know, my family doesn't necessarily agree with this media route, and they don't participate in media. So it's, it's just me. So I feel like I very much have to like, it's not really a choice. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that about your your brothers, if, you know, if anyone kind of feels a certain way about it, or how come they don't, you know, kind of help out with trying to spread the word about it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to me, the whole situation is like, you know, I, I understand, like, maybe hundreds of people go missing a day so that you can't look for everyone if you're the police. But literally, this guy, you have a recording of him saying, like, I'll tell you everything, just make sure they kill me. Like, it's your job to solve cases and like to put these things to bed. Like, I don't understand why, you know, that wouldn't be enough to kind of finally prosecute and arrest him. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of different theories over the years. You know, my father has a very tangled backstory. He was actually a member of law enforcement from like 1970 to 1974. Um, and he is known to have helped uh, cover up the crime scene of his sister-in-law's like shooting back in 19. 1974 so a lot of people think that there could be some type of like police corruption and cover-up i don't necessarily lean that way um but i do have to wonder what's going on um because i also have to consider too that the police kind of have to if this goes to court the phoenix police kind of have to admit why they didn't do anything from 2001 to 2008 when there's so many documented incidents of my father calling child protective services of him calling the police to almost report himself mm -hmm. um so they kind of have to admit that they probably didn't do the right thing there and i think that that might be a huge holdup in this case is their pride hmm. that's fair um you know i do want to ask also i think you know in fairness to everyone involved there's always two sides to a story what is the story that your dad pushes kind of what are does he have any facts or evidence that you know he would use in in this conversation to uh say why he's not guilty so this is the thing when i started going through my sister's case file and reading all these witness statements um i want to say i had a list of goodness gracious maybe close to i want to say at least 15 different stories 
that my father told people about my sister's last day. So he told people that he never saw her that day, that she ran away with a biker, that he saw that, um, that she got in a car with somebody at her work, um, that the union took her. So it, it's hard to say because he's had so many stories. He doesn't necessarily tell that union story anymore. His, um, his first retelling of everything was, you know, two gentlemen from the union um, killed my sister. And then he went and actually killed those two guys in return. So that's like all in his manifesto that he killed these guys and the police looked into that and he obviously didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so it's hard. Some days he still says like that union story. Um, but other times he's just like, it could have been anything, you know, what about her boyfriend. What about this other guy that she liked from her job? So basically just anywhere but him, and it changes all the time. But why, the union story, like why the union? Like that just seems like a vague sort of thing, especially if they're alive. Like he had to have known that anyone could check and see that these guys are alive. Like <laughs> right. why would he say that? Um, that's a great question. So the union is a very large backstory. And I know this this story could go on forever. Like there's so many different rabbit holes, like between him being a cop and the shooting in the union. So he worked for the electrical union um, around the time Al Alyssa and I's mother died of cancer in 1993. And when I was growing up, I was always told, you know, that my father was fired by this union and harassed by this electrical union before my mother died um, and then again they fired her fired him and it was like the worst thing that ever happened in his life and that they just continued to harass him because he was a good guy trying to do the right thing and he had you know talked about work conditions that weren't safe and and all this stuff um, but again you know I get the case file and I get paperwork that shows that my father was never fired by this union in fact he quit his job three weeks before my mother died. Um, and then the life insurance policy, um, I believe expired one or two days um, before my mother's death. So there's also, some people think that he overdosed my mother on on opiates and, and killed her also because of the timing of the life insurance and her death. And so the union is like this whole crazy backstory that I used to believe growing up. I, I don't, I'm sure he got a few calls or whatever. Maybe some guys were like mean to him about reporting work conditions, but I'm pretty sure that's as far as it went. So you're convinced, you're convinced that your father is essentially a full blown psychopath if he's capable of doing all of this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to think about my mother's death. I do feel like it's a little far reaching, but when someone dies like a day before the life insurance policy expires, and he voluntarily quit knowing that that life insurance policy was going to expire. It's, it's a little questionable. Yeah. It's quite the coincidence. Um, I, I do want to ask too, um, do you, or where do you think your sister's body would be if, if you are able to, you know, put together a search? Absolutely. Um, so uh, there's a few different places where I think it could be, but the place I lean towards most is an area just a few miles north from where um, Alyssa last lived. It's basically an area called New River, and you just drive kind of right up the freeway, and it's, you know, vast amounts of desert. You know, we're in Arizona, so there's tons of desert everywhere, especially back in 2001. Um, but the reason I believe this is because um, my father had several videos of himself driving out there, just like random videos of him like 
videotaping the land. And in conjunction with that, at a certain point in time, um, some very specific areas of New River were going to be um, built upon. So there were, you know, new construction plans in site or whatever. The city was like annexed to build something on it. And my father makes dozens of phone calls asking what's going to happen with this land. And he seems quite alarmed to the point that the police notated it in her case file. Um, so out of all the places, that's kind of where I lean towards because he had a full-blown panic attack when they realized that they were building on it. Mm. How do you... This is like a movie. This is... this is. I have no doubt that I'm going to be watching this one day. This is uh, how, wild. Yeah, how do you, how do you like stay sane in this you know and take these kind of like logistical steps that you're taking to get the word out there like how do you not just animalistically just like go start digging up like dirt with your hands right like i just can't even imagine um kind of just like teetering on the edge of like knowing and not knowing uh, i'm sure it, it didn't happen overnight but you know how, how do you kind of function with all this yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it did not happen overnight. And when I first started talking about it and getting media exposure, it would be extremely hard. I would do an interview and need a few days to recover because I, it just wasn't something I'm used to talking about. But now it's really become this this larger mission. And of course, like I want justice for my sister so bad. I feel like the evidence is there and really just like a fair trial. I don't think like I'm not asking for him to like go to death or saying, you know, a, a thousand percent that he needs to be found guilty of this. I just want a trial. Um, so I think just staying sane and staying reasonable about it without having the highest expectations ever um, really helps. But again, it's become this larger mission that has started helping other people. And that has pushed me forward so much and has given me so much motivation because I get messages all the time saying, I heard your sister's story and I stood up to my stepfather. I heard your sister's story and I helped my sister get out of that situation with, you know, X, Y, and Z family member. And stuff like that is like unreal to me. Melissa is literally helping people to this day, you know, 19 years after she's been gone now. Um, so I think that's really what, what keeps me sane is seeing I, not necessarily a ton of results in Alyssa's case, but seeing everything kind of make an impact and seeing these this story of hers changing the world. I mean, it means everything to me. How do you remain optimistic about this actually being solved, him actually being arrested after all this time and all this evidence that you've kind of, you know, gotten by yourself, essentially? And, like, what... Do you have any hope for, like... Like, what do you feel like you have to do in order for this to happen? Or like, you know, what's like the newest break in the case or anything? Like, do you have any hope that this will actually, he'll actually, you know, be found guilty of this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I continue to have hope because, I mean, I feel like I was listening to your episode about, um, I don't think the correct term is disassociation, um, but I related with that so much. Mm -hmm. And I feel that through the trauma and everything, it's kind of zapped my memory to the point where I am like forever hopeful and optimistic despite all the horrible things that have happened. Um, and it's kind of a blessing. That might sound kind of crazy, but um, I just forever believe that like, you know, good wins over evil. And can it take 20 years? Yeah. Can it take 30, 40 years? Maybe. Um, but I just have to believe that the truth will come out and that the you know, forever mounting media pressure 
on the police will do something. Um, we actually have a new county attorney here that, you know, should this go to trial, they'd be prosecuting it. The, the old uh, county attorney was thrown out along with like Juan Martinez from like the Jody Arias case and and all that. There was like a sex scandal or something. So I think the you know, the new prosecutor gives me a lot of hope. Um, and again, just I know that they see this story. They comment on my Instagram. They forward my tweets to certain people. They are watching and they are seeing, and I believe that they are nervous. Um, and I see it building. So that I think that's what gives me hope is just knowing that it's, you know, kind of snowballing into this very large thing that I never thought it would get to. But yeah, there, there's no denying it. You know, I have a media deal um, where there will be some sort of a docu-series out there. I can't say too much more about it, but it's not going away and they're going to have to answer to it someday. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it takes someone like you, I think someone that's steadfast, relentless, um, you know, able to also push, you know, a larger message along with this case. Like you said, it's incredible to hear people reaching out to you and, you know, you're able to uh, make Alyssa's life, even though it was cut short, you know, mean something uh, important. So yeah, I, you know, no doubt that you're going to, you know, keep grinding when it comes to this. Um, I also want to make sure that, you know, we give you the chance to talk about your podcast a little bit um, because it's really fascinating what you're doing. It's from my understanding, it's sort of, you know, real time. I think you mentioned it before, like you're still constantly putting out episodes with new evidence that you gather. I know there's conversations with your dad on there. So can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what your podcast is and what the goal is and where people can find it, of course. Yeah, so it's called Voices for Justice. You can find it in any podcast player. Um, but I go through kind of everything chronologically because it is such a big story. I mean, you guys see here, and I apologize that I jump so much from year to year. It's just kind of how the story gets told sometimes. Um, but I start like from my father being born because he's such a large part of the story that I kind of have to start there. And I go through, you know, his trials and tribulations in the 70s and being a cop and, the, you know, the cover up with um, the shooting of his sister-in-law and all the way through my family kind of being established, you know, him and my mother getting married and Alyssa being born and Alyssa being adopted and Alyssa being abused. And it just, it goes through her entire life. Um, and right now we're at the point, like I said, of, of me confronting my father in, in 2017. So I'm not even to present day in it. There's probably 20 episodes and there's just so much detail I go through that it's unreal. You hear real audio from my home videos from before I was born. You hear them from when I'm an infant. You hear Alyssa sing her ABCs. You hear her talk on her birthday. It's it's very emotional and detailed and it can be triggering. So I always like to say that because there is so much abuse in it. Um, but yeah, it's just a very honest retelling of basically the case file that's also accompanied by interviews and home videos and audio that I've obtained. I, I use as much real source material as I can. I very much try to keep my opinion out of it. You don't even hear, I think my last episode was the first time I even referenced that I could be thinking that it could be my father. I want it to be very neutral on purpose. So if this thing goes to court, it can't be used against me. So it's, it's very much, like I said, just a retelling of the exact facts. So we're getting into this really weird point where I talk to my dad and he says these very insane things. And then you'll later hear audio of the police. Everything I told you with the commander saying he didn't confess to us, you're going to hear that from her mouth. Wow. Because I don't I don't want it to be a retelling from me. I want you to hear it directly from the police. It's kind of like it's from my point of view where you're super clueless. Um, and then you find all these things out with the police. So, 
yeah, just a very factual retelling with a lot of audio to, to support. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the dedication to put something like that together and maintain it uh, is, is really interesting. So yeah, Voices for Justice, it's called. And uh, I would say that's the best way for anyone listening now who wants to hear, you know, more of the story and, and the details. That's, you know, definitely the best way. And I will say I didn't want to get too deep into it and I will be listening to it. Um, but I wanted to learn a lot of these facts kind of today. Um, but I listened to a bit of your the first episode where you have a conversation with your father, who I think is still in prison at the time. Um, and it's just, yeah, so raw, um, so authentic. You even say in the beginning that you're, you know, you almost feel like it was unfair because you were like bratty and you were being mean to him. But at the same time, you're just trying to, um, you know, understand why he would do something that he's saying, you know, he didn't do. And you're talking about things like him refusing to give a DNA test. Um, I know your sister was caught on camera saying things like dad's a pervert and just so, so much, you know, evidence and uh, details out there that, you know, we're not even able to cover today. So I think that'll be a great way, you know, for people to learn more about this case. Yeah, absolutely. So that call is actually my most recent call with him oh, last okay. year. I was asking him to go back on 2020. He was out of prison. ABC 2020 wanted to do another episode, but they won't do it without him. And of course, he refused. Um, but I played that call at, at, in the very beginning of the podcast very much on purpose because it is nothing compared to my 2017 call where he doesn't expect me to ask these things, where he doesn't expect to really be recorded. Arizona is mm. a one-party consent state, and he taught me that. Um, so I kind of catch him by surprise versus this 2019 call where he's been interviewed a few times and he's very much rehearsed. Um, I did that on purpose to give it kind of a, a fair playing field. I didn't want to go in there with my most damning evidence and just damn him from the beginning because that's not what it's about. You know, I, ex I explore the convict who um, confessed to killing her. I speak with that man myself. I explore every possibility I can. I'm going to present every theory basically I've ever heard about what could have happened to Alyssa. Um, so yeah, I try to make it as, as fair as possible, but anyone who covers this case, I, I haven't met a single person who's covered it that came to a different conclusion. So it is kind of what it is, but yeah, I try to be fair and I try to be honest and yeah, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. It, it really is what it is. Wow. Yeah. I think we're, you know, we're excited to, to dive into that as well. And, yeah, and for sure. More. I, uh, like I said, I, I, I think the story is like super interesting and I think you've done, a hell of a job in, in collecting all of this evidence and, you know, presenting it in such a way, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it, it's just, it just feels like one of those stories that, you, you know, you watch and you hear about and it almost seems unbelievable. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thankful that you're uh, willing to come on our show and kind of talk about it and, and let us know the ins and outs. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for helping me spread the word. It's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, before we wrap up, is there, you know, anything we didn't cover that you want to leave listeners and viewers with? Um, no, I mean, I do always like to say, you know, if you feel that you're suffering something similar, you know, try to find a safe way out and that there's always, always hope. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so we, much. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, even though it's been some some time since you know, 19 years, uh, it still can't be too easy to talk about, um, especially since it's so prevalent in your life every day. I mean, you're working on it. So thanks again for, for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. And, um, we'll definitely stay in touch. I mean, we're, we're interested and I'm sure, 
you know, there's going to be an episode where, you know, a lot of our, our listeners will be interested as well. So I think there's opportunity for, you know, potential follow-ups, things like that. Um, but yeah, we'd love to stay in the know. Yeah, please. I would love that. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. We all do a lot of online shopping and that's because it's so easy and convenient, but there's something that makes online shopping even better and that's Honey, the free online shopping tool that saves you money online. And it's super easy to use. You just shop at one of your favorite online stores. When you check out, the little Honey box appears showing you that it found the promo codes. You click apply coupons, boom, the price drops. It's like magic. And personally, I've been buying a lot of workout gear since I've been transitioning to more home workouts. And over the past week alone, I've saved about $70 on dumbbells, workout bands, and a yoga mat. And Honey has found its 17 million members over $2 billion in savings. So not using Honey is literally passing up free money. It's free to use and installs in just seconds. Uh, Plus, it's now part of the PayPal family. And you get Honey for free, completely free, at joinhoney.com slash OPL. That's joinhoney.com slash OPL. Our next sponsor is Simply Safe, and Simply Safe is a home security system that is affordable and will help you out. Okay, keep your stuff safe. Simply, you understand? That's where they get the name. Uh, but they have um, window protectors. Uh, they're like glass break sensors. They have cameras. They have a doorbell camera so that you know when people are approaching your home, when they ring the bell or anything like that, you can keep an eye on that. Um, but it's very, very uh, efficient. Um, I have it. My oldest brother has it at his new home as well. And it's very affordable. It only comes out to 50 cents a day. And right now, if you go to simplysafe.com slash OPL, you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial from SimpliSafe, which is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash OPL for the 60-day risk-free trial and free shipping, okay? So there's nothing more important than your than your home security and keeping your things safe, so why not try it? You got nothing to lose except everything in your house. This story is so fucking nuts. <laughs> like... There's just so many, dude. This literally feels like a Netflix documentary where, like, every episode you're like, "What? It's, There's more." It's making a murderer. Like, it's yeah, it's it, one literally. Of those. It's literally one of those things, and it's like, wait, all this evidence, and the cops didn't do anything, and it's like, it's it's so strange how all these things have, sort of this, the same checklist of like police kind of wrote it off and like there's all this evidence and one person's doing it and it's not the police and there's a framing. There's a manifesto. Pipe bombs? Yeah. There's a you could you could basically there's a lot of episodes in this. This isn't just like a a one and done, but um it's great. It's just it, it, there's such like a human element to it also because we consume those things for entertainment, but now speaking to the woman who is just still actively going through this. It's not done yet. You know what I mean? This isn't we didn't speak to her after the kind of final chapter is closed. Uh, she's busting her ass to get the story out there, um, which is amazing as well that she's able to to kind of do that. But yeah, I mean that we basically just listened to like a, a true crime podcast within our podcast. Yeah, it's it was it was just crazy, man. Like I can only imagine having just to deal with that, but then to kind of take the lead on figuring out what happened 
is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be incredibly like emotionally strong to like do something like that. Yeah. For us, and it's, to, it's entertainment. And then it's your father. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not some stranger came in and he was never caught. And now my sister's missing. It's, it's like the guy's right there. Like you've known him your whole life. Like, and her biological father too, which is, you know, I, it's just a wild story. And, you know, I don't know how anyone can listen to this episode and then not go listen to the pod, like, and not go like figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. You know, getting all the, the details for it. Cause it's just a, it's, it's a wild story. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, and also I think another story within this general story is the story of her, of, of her, like being the type of person who's like, I'm not going to put this to rest because, uh, you know, her siblings were kind of like, Let, let's just leave it be. But to be this persistent and ambitious towards, you know, finding justice for your sister is very admirable, you know, and uh, it's really cool to hear about. And and I'm I'm glad we were able to do that episode just because, you know, hearing that perspective, it's not really one you think of. Like you watch a documentary and you just assume it's a documentary, like whatever. But this is literally this one person who's going out of their way to do something when no one else will. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of awesome to to hear from her. Yeah, no, this uh, really fascinating story. In- insane. I can't even imagine. Like I said before, I can't even like get the words out of my mouth now to say like if that happened to my sibling. Yeah, uh, it, I I just don't know. But wow, she's uh, yeah, really cool to talk to her. Uh, definitely urge everyone to check out her podcast. Um, I even just googled the case to Alyssa Turney. Um, and, and you see, there's a lot of YouTube videos, there's conspiracies behind it. There's the 2020 video like this. It's, it's a fairly known case, it seems, um, which I think is a testament to her, the work that she's putting in that she really is getting this out there. Um, so it's something I'm going to keep up with for however long it takes. I'm curious, like she said, she has the kind of long-term goal in mind. Um, she's not just looking for you know, quick answer. She's willing to, it seems like dedicate her life, uh, to trying to bring justice to her sister. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, guys, you go check it out. It's called, uh, voices for justice, right? Yes. Voices for justice. That's the podcast. Um, but, um, if you guys listening have anything, um, that you think will fit for the show, you can reach out to us by going to oplshow.com slash contact fill out the form, send us an email. We go through all of them. And if it fits, we will schedule something. Yeah. Check us out on Instagram at OPL podcast. We post all the clips there uh, again on YouTube at youtube.com slash other people's lives. Shout out to all the patrons and the community there. This is definitely an example uh, where we will get her in the discord chat that we have with patrons so that you guys can ask her questions directly. I imagine there's going to be a follow-up call in the future. Um, so that's some of the type of bonus content that you get. And that's at patreon.com slash OPL show. So join, join the community, join the, fam. join the community. Yep. And that is all. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>